1: Taking a move that I make, I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break The heart of the brave, the soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold
0: up. Welcome! <laughs> What's up everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show coming at you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific over the digital airwaves of YouTube. I want to say thank you again, as always, to our official sports betting company, FanDuel, the official sports betting company of The Stephen A. Smith Show. Make sure to watch, to like, and follow The Stephen A. Smith Show on YouTube. Make sure to click the bell and get notified of all our new content. And be sure, as always, to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, A Memoir of Second Chances and First Takes. You know... I was really, really interested in talking to my next guest. My guest survived one of the worst school shootings in this nation's history. Since then, he's become a gun control activist and an emerging voice in politics. He is a co-founder of Leaders We Deserve. Please welcome David Hogg. Did I pronounce your name right? I wanted to make sure I pronounced it right. Is it David Hogg?
2: You did. Thank
0: Thanks. you so much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you, my man. Thank you so much. First of all, it's congratulations in order. I'm hearing that you're a new graduate of Har- from Harvard University. Is that true? That is true. All right. Congratulations, man. Congrats. By the way, what did you study? Let me let me be a little bit nosy in that regard. What did you study there? Well, I studied
2: history. Okay. So I mainly American history. Yeah,
0: I got you. You know, um, you know, you launched a new grassroots organization called Leaders We Deserved. First of all, Tell us about when you started uh, this, this grassroots organization and remind our audience specifically why you elected to do that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I uh, started an organization prior to Leaders We Deserve called uh, March for Our Lives. And I started it with about 25 uh, friends of mine uh, after the shooting that happened at my high school in Parkland, Florida. Uh, and we're an organization dedicated to helping to turn out young people to vote. Um, And also uh, advocating for stronger gun laws and a holistic approach to, uh, you know, how do we end gun violence? Not just how does somebody get a gun, but how do they um, how do we prevent them from wanting to pick up a gun in the first place and harm other people? Um, As part of that process, there was a young man I met who we hired um, to be our organizing director named Maxwell Frost, who um, a couple of years after we hired him, told me that he was interested in running for Congress. And he was 24 years old at the time. And my first question was, you know, you have to be 25 to be a member of Congress, right? Mm. Um, and he said, yes, he knew. And he was going to be 25 uh, by the time he was elected so he, so he could serve. Mm. Um, worked on this campaign. And Maxwell Frost is now the first Gen Z member of Congress elected. Uh, I raised him about $380,000 in his first quarter. And uh, he's the first Afro-Cuban person in Congress as well. And after that, I talked to his campaign manager, uh, Kevin Lotto, and I said, it'd be really great if we could take this model and really focus on electing more young people to state legislatures and a couple more people to Congress as well. And that's why we started Leaders We Deserve. We're an organization dedicated to helping elect more young people to government, uh, to elect more people that understand the anxiety of what it's like dealing with crushing student debt, uh, the anxiety of what it's like to go through a school shooter drill or worry about your children not having an, ha- an inhabitable planet.
0: Mm. You know, just as a fresh reminder, it was Valentine's Day, February 14th, 2018. Uh, you were a senior at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and on campus when a 19-year-old former student of the school entered Building 12 and started shooting with a semi-automatic weapon, just to make sure I provide that level of clarity to our viewers and listeners at this particular moment in time. And I'm just thinking back to that particular moment in time, and you have a time- Title like this leaders we deserve some would sit up there and say the obvious when you say leaders we deserve it connotates that excuse me we deserve better than what we have there's some folks on capitol hill that just ain't getting it done speak to that and and we all know when it hit home for you really but as you really really wanted to start jumpstart this organization and ignite this movement talk to me about why so many people should feel disgusted with what we're seeing from politicians on Capitol Hill.
2: I mean, the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, I I don't need to explain it that much because everybody sees what's happening around them. We're seeing, you know, the gutting of the middle class. We're seeing uh, every day at this point, basically school shootings happening on a weekly basis and daily gun violence in our communities that is not being covered. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, we're also seeing, you know, what happened in Hawaii. We're seeing hundred-degree water off the coast of Florida that is killing coral reefs um, and harming our planet and endangering the future of our children. And I think that ultimately is why we called it leaders we deserve. It's it's not to say that we haven't ever had leaders that we deserve in office. And we do have some currently too that that are there like Maxwell, but it's to say that we haven't had enough. You know, I think about people like uh the civil rights activist, John Lewis, who we met with after Parkland, who some of the students met with after Parkland, who told us this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think about how when he started, you know, it was largely impossible for many people like him in the civil rights movement to get elected in the first place, but because of the decades of work that he put in uh, with tens of thousands of other people, really millions of other people around the country, that he was able to get elected and so many more people like Maxwell Frost were able to get elected in the first place. That's what we're trying to do here. Is to elect more people that are morally just that don't take corporate money, for example, and put the people's interest first, and the and the special interests are after that. Well, David, how are you going to pull that off? When we talk about corporate money, like when I think about uh, uh, again,
0: I'm looking at corporate America and I'm saying, excuse me, everything cost. Like, why are they after money? Because guess what. You know what? You got to pay. You know you you want to you want to run commercials. You want to go on the campaign trail, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. None of that is free. You want to run commercials, or you know, it, it doesn't matter what network it is. They're charging you for the time and what have you. So when you talk about politicians not taking corporate dollars. Is that really, is that really a reasonable expectation? Isn't that something that's a, like a pie in the sky kind of mentality to think that you can have a sustained
2: level of success if you don't have corporate dollars supporting you? Well, I'll say this much, Stephen, we proved it with Maxwell Frost. Yeah. You know, he was a 25-year-old who was elected and did not take, you know, corporate PAC money in the in the first place. And that's part of the magic of what we're doing here with Leaders We Deserve. You know, we're an organization that's really dedicated to helping bring the next generation into politics. And I'll be straight up with you. We're not we're not trying to elect, you know, 500 people right now and, and give them, you know, uh, just a little bit of money each to support them. We're really trying to work with 15 to 30 young people running for state legislature where the races are a lot cheaper to fund. And then uh, one or two members of Congress. And the beautiful thing about Leaders We Deserve is one, we don't take corporate money. Uh, and two, a lot of the money that we get We've gotten tens of thousands of donations from small dollars. The average donation that we've gotten is around $27, $25 from people all around the country that have supported us. When you have that kind of grassroots support, people who donate monthly, we can help elect more of those candidates because I think ultimately, you're right, it might be hard. I don't think there will ever be a world where You know, we can have every single campaign totally grassroots funded so long as there's somebody else out there willing to take corporate money. But what we can do is elect more people and make it so unpopular to take corporate money. We can change the rules of the game and do things like change the Supreme Court so we can end Citizens United, which enabled, you know, these politicians to be able to take so much of that corporate special interest money in the first place. Because Ultimately, we do know that if we raise that standard and we say that you can't take that money and we make it illegal, then they can't. Is it plausible that there's somebody out there or
0: have you encountered corporations out there that have come to you and said, wait a minute, we actually support your cause. We actually agree with you. Don't put us or lump us in the same categories, uh, in the same category of these corporations that may be against such causes. And as a result, that's the kind of money you certainly don't want. Have you found corporations that have sided with you and really support your movement and wanted to contribute?
2: No, I have not. And I wouldn't take their money even if they did want to, because frankly, Stephen, there's no amount of good corporations or progressive CEOs that are out there that are going to get us out of the situation of corruption that we're in in the first place. Mm. You know, the problem inherently, the problem that got us here is the fact that corporations can give to candidates, period. uh, And that's taking money from a slightly better corporation, uh, no matter what they say, is not going to get us out of here because there's always going to be worse bad actors out there that are just directly driven by greed and profit in the first place. And not driven by what we are driven by, which is you know, electing morally just leaders like Maxwell Frost who reflect our generation, people like Avery Bishop, who is um, you know, the first woman of color to win Miss Texas, and if elected to be the first Filipino woman in the Texas state legislature, because she just announced her campaign and she's the first Mm. candidate we're supporting. So that's what I would say to that.
0: The advent of social media has really taken fold in recent years, obviously. How much has that assisted in the level of success you guys have been able to enjoy? I only ask that question because I think about back to Barack Obama. And I'm saying if it were not for social media and his usage of it, I don't know if he would have won the election in 2008 or even 2012 against Mitt Romney. Uh, What are your thoughts about that? What can you tell us about the role that social media has played in sort of helping you advance your cause in terms of the support that it may
2: have helped Garner? Well, I think it's been enormously helpful. I mean, Steven, you of all people know that, right? Like I've seen you out there with all the memes and everything of, of, you know, your commentary. And I I love it. That's how I became aware of you in the first place. It's not because I watch a a ton of sports personally, but it's because everybody loves your comments and your show Um, with, uh, leaders we deserve. And with March for Our Lives in particular, you know, when we started after Parkland, uh, a big asset that we were able to use was Twitter. You know, a lot of the time in the past, you would have to get a lot of journalists to cover you. But ultimately, we had so many young people supporting us on social media that we were able to get almost a million people to march with us in Washington, D.C. We've made March for Our Lives the largest youth-led movement in America since the anti-Vietnam War protests that happened during the 1960s. We've registered tens of thousands of young people to vote, and we've marched with them around the country, and we've seen the results, right? We have had the highest youth voter turnouts in American history in 2018 in 2020 and 2022. Now, it's still much lower than older age groups. But in comparison to how those groups voted when they were our age, you know, 18 to 29 years old in that demo, uh, we're voting a lot more and we're voting very clearly in one direction.
1: This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock like my lifeline until I, flatline, I push it to the red line Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high?
0: if I was to ask you what's the top three goals what's the top three goals of leaders we deserve what would they be
2: well I think one is bringing a new generation into politics that understands that you know we can work across the aisle and get things done at the same time the partisan politics that we have in our country right now is not uh, Great for democracy, it's not great for our people in the first place. And I, I know from talking, you know, obviously, gun control, Stephen, is not the most uh, non-controversial topic, right? Uh, you can imagine, but you know, I joined the shooting club at my college. Mm. I've talked to people who don't agree with me um, on everything, but you know what I find every time, even with most of the people who vehemently disagree with me, uh, is that there is common ground that we can move forward on. While some people may not agree that you know, they don't think that uh, a semi-automatic rifle like the AR-15 should be banned. Um, They do think that we need more mental health funding for the two-thirds of gun deaths that are suicides. And that's something I'm willing to work together on uh, to make progress on that in the first place. Uh, As for the other two goals, I think one of them is, you know, getting, um, weeding out a lot of the corruption in politics by funding grassroots campaigns, because I think that's ultimately what enabled groups like the NRA to block even research funding into gun violence prevention, right? I don't care, you know, how left or right, you are on this issue. Fundamentally, we should all agree that we need more information to understand yeah, absolutely. what are the most policies to reduce gun violence. And the fact that the NRA actively lobbied for a law that prevented us from being able to even fund research at the CDC and NIH into one of the leading causes of death for people under the age of 19 in this country is horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last thing I think is giving people hope. And I know that sounds kind of high in the sky and everything, but what I mean by that, Stephen, is that I think our generation has not been voting because we've been hopeful. I think it's because we're terrified. I think it's because we were very scared of the effect of Donald Trump and what we've seen happening over and over again uh, with our country. But that's not enough. you know. I know from being in these social movements, now working on the inside of politics more too, You know, leadership is about a lot more than just being against something. You have to actually be for something. And that's what I'm trying to do here is I think by working with people like Justin Jones, who's on our advisory board, Maxwell Frost mm-hmm. uh, and so many other people that when young people see somebody like a Justin Jones in uh, you know, office in Tennessee, they know that our political system is broken. We can all see that. But they also know that that does not mean it is unfixable because there are people well, that are doing the right thing reading the charge on the inside like Justin Jones.
0: I was jumping in to interject because you talked about how you can work across the aisle and that there's compromise to be made and what have you. Um, And I'm quite sure that there are people who've disagreed with you, obviously, but they're willing to work with you uh, for the greater good. How do you explain the fact that in today's world with these politicians on Capitol Hill, there's such a divide that exists now? Compared to what you're aiming, obviously, to alleviate. I mean, when you think about it, the fact that youngsters like yourself have to have to be on the come up, and you're trying to literally highlight what doesn't need to be transpiring, what doesn't need to be taking place, and elder statesmen and women that exist in this world on Capitol Hill can't seem to do that. In your in in in, I guess in in, in your your travels. Why have you discovered things have regressed to that point on Capitol Hill? I imagine you had to have some idea, which is what also served to inspire you to want to take these positions.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think a lot of it, frankly, has to do with social media. I think the fact that somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, a now congresswoman from Georgia, you know, followed me around when I was 18 years old, right after the shooting, screaming that, you know, claiming spreading conspiracy theories that the shooting at my high school didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Saying you know, that I was trying to take everybody's guns. Now, look, Stephen, I am a gun control advocate. I do think we need stronger gun laws because I don't think that somebody like a mentally deranged uh, and frankly racist 19-year-old, like the shooter at my high school, should be able to make multiple threats against my high school or any school and still be able to legally own a semi-automatic rifle or any gun for that matter in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. But- you know, she says all these crazy things. And I've been shooting guns since I was in fourth grade, right? There's a lot more nuance to the situation than people uh, I I think want to talk about. And when somebody like her comes along and tries to spread just false conspiracy theories um, about what happened at my high school, not only is that disrespectful, uh, incredibly disrespectful to the families that lost children in the shooting at my high school, like Patricia and Manuel Oliver and so many others, uh, it's also really bad for our country because she is posing as a leader uh, when really all she is is somebody that is just trying to divide us further for her own benefit so that she can raise more money off of chasing after somebody like me, who, you know, at the time wasn't even old enough to drink yet. And had just right. gotten old enough to vote. Wow. And she was a plus year old woman. You know, that type of immaturity. I remember like, it. That's
0: why I'm not interrupting you, because I remember it. I remember I remember it was all over television. We actually saw some of the nonsense that she was engaging in. Been, make no doubt about that. Uh, it's been more than five years uh, since 17 of your classmates and school uh, staff were gunned down at, at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, as you reflect on that day, and certainly I don't I don't I, I'm not trying to dredge up memories, but I just think it's incredibly important that you let the audience know. Could you speak to how that day has affected you beyond the things that you've already dis- you've already articulated?
2: You know, see, I I think the way that it impacted me more than anything was it brought me off the sidelines. Um, when I before Parkland happened, um, I really wanted to be a broadcast journalist, um, and specifically, what I wanted to do was cover you know things like politics because I thought both political parties were very corrupt and all politicians were corrupt. Um, but what I learned from the shooting, from what I learned working in March for Lives, when he passed you know gun laws in Florida, a state where they said that. You know, you're a bunch of young people, and it's great that you care, and it's great that you're committed. But you can't change things here because this is Florida, and the NRA owns this state, and we did change gun laws. I, I realized it is not simply enough to be against things and say everything sucks, and therefore I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved because that is not how you fix things. You actually have to propose something better and work towards it, right? And I think that's really the biggest way that it changed my my the trajectory of my life is I realized it's not just enough to point things out. I got to get out there. I got to get involved with my classmates and so many others that have been doing the work for decades, too. And you know, I'd be I'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that there are many people in you know, our movement and March for Our Lives specifically started before Parkland, you know, because there were so many people, especially in black and brown communities like Erica Ford in Jamaica, Queens in New York, mm-hmm. um, like Mike out in California and so many others that have been leading this charge against gun violence decades right and never have gotten the credit that they deserve but laid the groundwork to help bring us up as a movement um and let you know march come in and, and be part of that in the first place and it just it's been really remarkable to see how you know the movement started in parkland but it goes beyond parkland mm. we have people from across the country involved in our organization that are impacted not just by school shootings although of course i care about that they're impacted by things like, like you know gun suicide, which is two thirds of gun deaths that are impacted by daily gun violence that disproportionately affects specifically young black people way more than it does almost any other group in the country. And I realize that if Parkland is not safe, Mm -hmm. if Parkland is safe and other communities are not safe, we still have not done our job because it shouldn't matter what the income is or Mm -hmm. what the racial demographics of your community looks like. No community should have to live and fear of gun violence inside or outside of their schools in the first place, no matter how the media chooses to cover one much more than the other. Well,
0: let me say a couple of things before I ask the next question. First of all, I, I really, really appreciate the positions that you've articulated, and I thank you a lot for it. I remember you criticized the coverage by the media of the Parkland shooting because you said it did not include a lot of the Black students. I appreciated your position on that. I certainly appreciate that. Just four days after the shooting, you and your classmates organized March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. I thought that was a very, uh, very profound moment in American history. And now thinking about the organization, and once again, just so everybody knows, Leaders We Deserve, that's your grassroots organization. You plan to make your first rounds of endorsements throughout the second half of 2023. I want to know what areas of the country are you actually eyeing?
2: Well, for one, uh, there's an election coming up in Virginia that's very important. Virginia is one of the few states in the South that is not uh, a a banned abortion. Uh, But if if we lose, you know, uh, some of the a couple more seats they're probably going to ban abortions. So that's one of the top states that we're looking to get involved in. Um, I'm not prepared just yet to t- tell you who we're supporting there, but we're very excited in the next couple of weeks to, to let you know that. Um, but we're also getting involved in states like Florida, uh, in Texas, in Georgia, in North Carolina. Our whole philosophy here is that you know, there are so many states that get so much attention because they're very close to flipping. So for example, uh, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, states like that, what we want to do with young people, we see invest, investing in young people, uh, young people interested in making change, kind of like investing with time in the market uh, with money, right? There's nothing that beats that because over time, you're you know the effects that you have compound um, and become more consistent. And I, I think that's what we're trying to do. So we're trying to just have, you know the, we're trying to play the S&P 500 of change up right here by not just supporting one candidate, but really 15 or 30 each cycle to help get them the resources that they need to get elected. Um, and be that voice for young people and people of all ages too that we need in Congress or wow. our state.
1: This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's sticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high?
0: Last question before I let you get on out of here. Just doing my research, I, I mean, I love the fact that you talk, you wanted to emphasize you're not talking about grabbing people guns. I, I, wanted, I love that you emphasize that you've been shooting, you know, guns for a, a, quite a long time. You're not, so the, these right-wingers that say, you're not taking our guns away and all of that other stuff, that's not what you're talking about here. And so you're not talking about literally eradicating Second Amendment rights. And I think it's important to, to, to make that point. And I bring that up. For long, because I want to ask you this last question. Um, you're going to run for office one day. I, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, how, how soon is it going to be before we start We start looking at David Hogg and, and see him as a senator? Uh, I, I don't say congressman because I don't want you in office for just two years. I want you in office at least six years. At least six years, okay, unless you're running for the presidency. Um, talk to me about your aspirations to be on Capitol Hill yourself in a very official yeah, I- capacity.
2: I thought a lot about this, Stephen. And, and right now, you know, when I was younger, I thought, you know, when I'm 25, I want to run for Congress. But then I just realized, you know, this is so much bigger than just me. And if I can go out there and help elect more young people that reflect our generation, because Frank, there's a lot of guys that look like me on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they might be a little older, but, they look, <laughs> um, you know, I would much rather help elect more young women, especially uh, young women of color and others around the country um, to help you know realize that this is not just about you know me um, or Parkland or any one community or any one person. This is about a movement that is so much bigger than any one of us in the first place. And I think it's really important to note that you know nobody is here to save us. There is no single person that's going to save us except each and every one of us. We have to save us as a generation and work across the generations, too, with the wisdom of older generations and the power of younger generations to build an intergenerational network moving forward for justice for all communities and safety for all communities in the first place. So right now I'm not planning on running, um, but I am planning on helping these candidates who are running in the first place. And if you want to get involved with that, you know, yes. if you want if you're a young person who's interested in working on gun violence prevention, um, you can go to marchforourlives.com. And if you're interested in supporting our efforts uh to help elect more young people, which I see is like kind of the second phase of the movement. First, we had to wake up our generation, we had to turn out and vote. Now we have to run, right? They say run, hide, and fight to survive a school shooter. I think our generation needs to repurpose that. We need to start running for office, we need to stop hiding from the responsibility. We have to protect all communities from gun violence. We need to start fighting for a future where all communities are safe and they have the resources that they need so that no young person feels the need to pick up a gun in the first place. Because it's not just about how they get the gun, it's about why does a young man, especially, feel the need to pick up a gun in the first place? How can we act proactively and not just reactively? Instead of just funding more cops or anything like that, how can we get their community and their schools the resources they need in order to make sure that they don't feel the need to turn towards that? So if you're interested in working with Leaders We Deserve or potentially even running for office yourself, if you're a young person, you can go to leaderswedeserve.com.
0: The man who launched grassroots organization, leaders we deserve. The one and only David Hogg right here with Stephen A. Smith. Thank you for joining the show. Good luck in your future endeavors. I'll definitely keep an eye out for everything. I love your message. I think it's right on point. And I think you're one of the perfect people to articulate the message that you've been articulating. I'm really impressed with everything that you've had to say. I certainly received an education today and I thank you for providing it, my man. Thank you so much, man. Pleasure to meet you.
2: Appreciate
0: you, Jim. All right. The one and only David Hogg right here with Stephen A. Okay. You know, I love what he's saying, making a lot of valid points. He really, really is. And when you experience the kind of things that he experienced, most of my, the fact is most of us sit back and watch. We whine and moan and bitch. We complain and then we don't do anything. We don't give a voice for the voiceless. We don't speak on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. We don't fight on behalf of those who can't fight for themselves that are relatively helpless. He clearly is not one of those people. So. I think he should be applauded for what he's doing, what he's trying to do. I definitely appreciate the fact that he stopped by the show. I admire what he and other young people are setting out to do because I think it's very, very important after all the future's in their hands. We got to call it like we see it. The future's in their hands, not I'm 55, okay? I'm on the other side now, okay? I ain't far on the other side, but I'm on the other side now, okay? These young thoroughbreds, every time something happens in history, it's young people who spark it. It's young people who ignite the flame and bring attention to things that need to be brought attention to or have attention brought to it. So David Hogg is one of those people. I think that we're going to hear a lot from him in the years to come. He's special. You can tell. Thanks again to him for joining the show. And thanks to you all for watching another episode of The Stephen A. Smith Show. You can watch me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific over the digital airwaves of YouTube. Make sure to click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestseller, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Keep it coming, and I'll keep on coming. Until next time, everybody, this is Stephen A. signing off. Peace and love.